You're listening to Meanwhile, episode 12. In today's episode, we're talking about listening, a skill that sometimes gets a weak rap because of its seemingly passive and simple nature. But make no mistake about it, effective listening can be subtle, complex, and actually require real skill and strength. Not only that, it has the power to move our conversations forward in ways that many of our default responses don't. Let's get to it. Michael Terrell, I will share with the world that you just solved a massive technical difficulty through some kind of magical means. So I salute you and tip my hat. Oh, you're very welcome. The resident tech wizard for our podcast. Yes. And and I know this is probably a big positive thing because apparently you had a bad experience last week that you're going to tell us about. Yes. This is a symbol that things are looking up in the world. I had a bad experience this last week with listening in particular, not being listened to very well by somebody else. So by coincidence, our, <laughs> our topic today is listening. Well, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Imagine I picked this story for this listening topic. So yeah. I am at this coach training thing it, at Harvard. Harvard. The, the faculty club at Harvard. I'm familiar with the place. I know you've been there once or twice. And I'm in this training, uh, in this coaching methodology we've referenced before called Immunity to Change. It was lunchtime just a couple of days ago, and I was talking to one of the people in my training group. She had asked me, you know, what was, what was I there to work on? Everybody who goes to this program has a, a goal they're working on themselves to try to practice this framework with. And, and I told her, you know, the thing for me that I'm um, chipping away at is trying to get clearer in how I want to just even think about the idea of potentially getting married and or having kids someday. Because I tend to, when I think about it, I tend to feel trapped and I get all uh, emotional and reactive. I'm like, oh, get away from me. I kind of do my Heisman. I just stiff arm the whole idea. And uh, as you can imagine, with a lot of uh, women in the world, that that, uh, stance isn't all that popular. So I'm not so much that I need to totally undo it, but I want to get less reactive about it when I think about it a little bit more uh, even keeled. So anyways, I lay that out there and we're reach noshin on our sandwiches and she says, "Well, well, how old are you? And I said, well, I'm 28. Oh, you're so young. T- honey, don't even worry about it. I mean, you've got so much time. And it's, you know, look at George Clooney. You know, he had all sorts of qualms about it. And then eventually it, he meets the right one. And then it's just obvious. And now they're having twins and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, just just find your inner George Clooney, honey. It's fine. And And the comment, her first or second <laughs> version of saying it, I'm just kind of like, oh, that's... That's nice, but you don't really realize this is actually something that gives me a lot of uh, anxiety sometimes, and I actually feel like I don't have a lot of clarity on. But it's if she had just if it had been a fifteen second comment, I'd have been like ha 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 and moved on. Clearly, you don't really understand me. But then she kept sort of emphasizing and sharing other stories from her life where people just kind of got over it at some point, and when they were just ready, they knew, and that's the way it is. And just stop. This shouldn't be an issue for you. Essentially, is what she was saying. And the longer she went on in this, it was, you know, the conversation kept going. I was increasingly frustrated and anxious. I felt my own anxiety coming up. I'm like, yeah, if it was only so simple to just wait for the right person and then I'll know, uh, then I would have solved this problem a long time ago. And I got to the point where I told her, I gave her some, I gave her the gift of feedback. The gift. At the, at the end of uh, these five or so minutes. And I said, you know, I can see that your intention, as we've been talking the last little bit, has been to be helpful for me. And I appreciate that. However, since you know, you're here training as a coach, 
I feel like I sort of owe letting you know <laughs> that I actually don't really feel helped at all. In fact, I feel I feel anxious and kind of worse than when our conversation started. You What'd know? she say? She uh, she looked a little stunned <laughs> and somewhere between <laughs> being apologetic and uh, startled. I think was her reaction. She's like, "Oh, oh my gosh, uh, I had." no idea and and she was she was really gracious and she said you know my training for so long has been that when i you know hear somebody with a, a challenge is to tell them what the solution is you know to give them the answer and that that is the way to be helpful even if the answer is to wait until you're middle-aged and have twins <laughs> yeah like some people I know. like some some other humans <laughs> that may or may not be on this podcast <laughs> and uh so you know i i totally got her intent and it was helpful to hear her further clarify it and i was like man this is uh, the, the the refrain going through the back of my head throughout as she kept talking um i was coming up with ca- counter arguments to the things she was saying and this the refrain was you don't really get me you don't really understand me and how this situation plays in my mind and so how can you really be um, helping me build towards something productive i was just sort of discounting her and pushing her away her and her advice away and 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 the thought i have is like yeah i'm not going to bring this up with her again she's not gonna be helpful wow so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so much there it's a lot careful (laughs) yeah in a little five minute conversation there are layers and layers and layers and layers and they can go beyond the conversation right they can they can kind of create future impacts that you're unaware of. So listen, it's a good topic, how to do it well. Um, Seemingly simple and yeah, lots of layers and the stakes can be real. You know, I'm sure the last thing she would have wanted was to have the result be that I'm not going to bring this type of issue to her ever again. That was definitely not what she was trying to do. And yet the impact of her uh, ineffective listening in this particular conversation uh, was just that, that I was going to sort of shut down and withdraw from this topic with her in the future. Well, let's get into it. Um, let's do it. Let's talk about listening. So listening shows up all the time in our work. It is one of the things most absent in most work environments. It's absent in a lot of relationships. People often think they're doing it well. They don't do it that well. People confuse it with a sort of passivity. We'll yeah. have a lot to say. <laughs> we'll have a lot to say about this. And- well, and, and listening gets a bad rap because of the reason I think you were just talking about. It's like this is sort of passive you know, arms crossed, leaning back in a chair, potentially non-productive thing that we sort of, I guess we have to do. You know, you and I were talking before the the pod today about how, you know, many of our clients and the, the workplaces we work in have a more, have a masculine sort of assertive, directive uh, culture to them. And there's something about the topic of listening that runs against that cuts against that grain in a way that really grates on lots of leaders we work with. Like, oh, well, the, the listening thing, the image you just had of somebody sitting back with arms folded, I pictured a man when you said that. Mm, and mm-hmm. I think that men who are told to listen can then look like that. Right. And I would further say that when we think about somebody listening well, uh, the image that tends to come up is more female sort of nurturing available listening quiet non-intrusive right and there's something kind of interesting and weird there about how we think of listening and to put more specifically i would say that a lot of people feel that being effective in the workplace and certainly being a leader 
is somebody with agency who moves forward, who is assertive. Right. And that when somebody's less listening, they are more receptive. Right. Um, I think that a lot of people view that being a good listener is sort of almost weak and feminine and kind of wishy-washy yeah. and uh, not the kind of high testosterone thing that they feel is good and necessary in the work world. Totally. Um, so there are these sort of weird, I think, gender labels or constructs that can show up here. Well, and, I, and I, the, I, the belief you just highlighted, I have to imagine if we went out in the world and, and interviewed folks and said, do you see this as being a really weak uh, non-important, f- more feminine styled thing that you shouldn't pay any attention to. My my guess is, you know, a lot of the the more mindful leaders we work with might not fully say, oh yeah, totally. But if they examine their behavior or even just their the way they react to the concept of, hey, let's talk about listening. I think that belief they would hold pieces of that belief potentially more strongly than they'd even want to acknowledge to themselves because of the reasons you just mentioned. So I think well, we a, see this, a great point. We see this in the work because uh, we know listening is super important. We know that people are not really that good at it and they could improve if they tried. And yet I will speak from my experience when I have brought this into teamwork or um, offsites or group leadership stuff, I will sometimes disguise it a little bit. Sure. Um, I'll be a little down low or closeted and how I introduce it because I'm concerned that people will have that arms folded response and reject it. So let's just accept that's what's going on and kind of go into what listening is and how people can do it better. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So I like to think of listening as really breaking into two pieces. The first is it's the things that we do to ensure that, that we really understand, truly understand somebody else and what they're saying. And the second piece is, and then what are the things we do that indicate to them that that's the case? So let's take this in its two parts, and uh, I'll turn the mic over to you, Michael. (laughs) What are some of the things that you try to do or or help people do to make sure they're truly understanding what they're hearing from from the other person? Well, the, the first thing is starting with the mindset that you're actually open to what the other person has to say. Um, yeah. So yeah. imagine you're at some kind of group or team meeting and somebody raises their hand and starts speaking. If you can predict what they're going to say already, you're not listening. If you have a, an opinion about what they're going to say before they've said it, you're also not listening. Um, you're simply waiting for them to be done. First and foremost, you have to actually turn the spotlight onto them and be open to their words and not simply be waiting for a chance to speak yourself. Yeah, I find that's one one of the things that people struggle with most is I'm preloading my response before the other person is done talking or somebody else opens their mouth and I think to myself, yeah, I already know what they're going to say and I'm I'm preparing to say something in response to my my internal monologue. The spotlight is still on me and my own brain as opposed to truly turning that spotlight over to the other person and, and saying, what is it they're actually saying? Am I fully with it? Or what happens even more often is we sort of start out with the spotlight sort of on the other person. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then we think we have the point by, by about second 10. And then we start formulating our response and we miss the last half of what they're saying because we're ready to chime in and, and be productive and assertive. And we, we miss half or more of what the other person is saying. Right, so you got to stay with it. And keep yeah. listening. And it's actually 
not easy uh, because we'll naturally have reactions and right. it's uh, difficult to kind of continue to keep the spotlight on them. But that's what listings involving. So that that's part of yeah. it. Another thing that's sort of obvious, but we don't always do, is let the person speak. So if you are finishing somebody's sentence for them, you are not listening. If you are talking over them or engaged in crosstalk, you're also not listening. And the funny thing is that I'm, I'm a pretty extroverted person, and I was always a talker growing up and was sometimes criticized for it. But now, like many Reformed sinners, um, I'm pretty good at listening, <laughs> and I'm incredibly intolerant of people who are not good listeners. And I think the first circle in hell is reserved for people <laughs> who finish other people's sentences. Uh, just infuriates me. So don't do that. I, I'm so uh, quick aside. I'm so glad we've gotten some of our religious guilt and uh, you know Reformation references to the the stakes of being a non listener woven in here. I think that's that's really the key piece. <laughs> I feel um, you have to have at least one Dante reference per podcast episode. episode. Yeah, yeah, and we've got to catch up because we missed it in a few. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So another thing that you pretty much need to be a good listener is that you actually have to reflect back what you're hearing in some ways. Yeah. So this will go into the second point, but it also relates to this first point. You're, you're listening and you're, you think you're grasping it. Um, you may or may not be getting the other person's point. And frankly, they may or may not be expressing it in a way that is understandable. So at some point, um, if you're listening well, you'll reflect back what you're hearing, either a kind of word for word or a summary or a thematic type thing. And then yeah. they'll either say, yes, that's exactly right. Or they'll continue to talk or they'll correct something that, that you said. So that is another way to make sure that you're really listening to the person. The other thing you can do to really make sure that you're understanding what the other person's saying is to tune into which ear you're listening out from. So uh, imagine on, on one side, in one ear, you are listening for content. You're listening for the details, the facts, the logistics, of, of what somebody's saying, which is where most of us tend to take most of our listening cues. Uh, the one that's underdeveloped for a lot of people is the other ear, which is listening to the subtext of what's being said. Uh, what's, what, what are the you know, expressions on the other person's face? What's the tone of voice? What sort of emotions are they bringing to uh, the conversation? What a really powerful question to, to listen for out of this other ear is, What's really at stake here for the other person? What really matters about this for them? And to really be thinking about both of those things, and at first it's often hard and jarring for people, but to say, like, what's the detail? What's the more emotional, uh, the more uh, stakes-related piece of this? And can I listen to both of those things? Because they're both the person who's coming to you with this conversation brings both, and it's really important to try to tune our antennas to hear. Well, in, in the example you started with, your fellow trainee was not doing any of that. Like it appeared like she was completely missing the stakes yes. for you and yes. what you were really experiencing it. And she kept on just doubling down on something else, but was missing this huge area. Yeah, absolutely. She was hearing the, the content and then was going to her, what we were just talking about. She was going to her internal uh, reaction to that. Oh, marriage is a struggle? I, I always think about George Clooney about this and just sharing that out and totally missing that other ear, uh, that other ear listening. Right. And it sucked. <laughs> it was not enjoyable. No, it's not. <laughs> I was thinking of another example. I, was, I started to stop listening to you. I was thinking about my own history now. Um, How well, dare you? I know. How dare you? We, see, we live, we, we, 
walk our talk or rather the things we talk about being hard, we also find hard in our own lives. Um, yeah. So you started by saying that one aspect of listening is trying to understand what the other person is saying. Yeah. And a second aspect is making them feel heard. So tell us about this second part. Yeah, I think this is actually the most important piece uh, because listening is, is, is actually sort of this dance happening between two people. And it's when the other person gets, hey, this person actually understands me. They actually get me. That progress starts to be made and uh, you guys move into better outcomes starts to happen, right? If I, it's once I think if, you, if I'm talking to you, Michael Melcher, yeah, he really understands how challenging uh, that situation uh, with my trainee was last week, man, I totally trust him to be able to, to help me and to offer his point of view and to help me find good solutions. But before I get that sense, uh, I'm not so sure that I want to move on with you. I really, it's, it's like, ah, he gets me. I'm safe here. I trust him. Let's move into productive. Let's move into something productive or let's solve this problem. Yeah. So it seems sort of like a, it seems like sort of a duh point, but we're often not very good at indicating uh, back to people that, that we truly get them. And that in a way, and by the way, it's not that the listener has a checklist about this, right? That means the listener, yeah, I've, I've done an adequate job of, of showing that I get them. It's actually in the sharer to check that box. Right? So if the woman that you talked about at the beginning had done that, what would that have sounded like to you? She would have said something like, wow, that sounds really stressful. I can imagine how with all your friends and peers getting engaged and getting married that you feel uneasy not having more clarity about sort of your own thoughts or beliefs about whether or not you want to get married. I could see how that pressure would sort of be mounting and be pretty uncomfortable. And then how would you have felt if she had said that? I would have felt relieved. I would have felt uh, understood. I think I would have felt safe. I would have felt uh, much more trusting of her. And rather than doing my Heisman Trophy sort of stiff arm to her, which is what I ended up doing internally, I would have, I think the, the visual might be like kind of leaning towards her and being like, okay, yeah, let's keep, let's keep this conversation going. I wouldn't want to run out the door. And the interesting thing is that, you know, most conversations are probably between or among people who have pre-existing relationships and are going to talk to each other again and again and again. Yeah. And if as a result of a conversation, you feel that the person gets you, then it probably makes you more comfortable going forward. Whereas if you have a conversation about something important and you feel they don't really understand you or get you, it's not only that particular subject matter that feels dissatisfying, it's that you now have tucked away this feeling that maybe this person generally doesn't get me and it's going to carry over into subsequent conversations as as well. Yeah, absolutely. A few ways for people to ensure that the, the bad outcome doesn't happen as often that I want to throw out there specifically. And this actually all revolves around a technique that we sometimes teach at the Stanford Business School and we call it confirm, respond. And uh, what happens in, in a lot of listening situations when we're trying to signal to the other person that we, that we get them is we default to just responding. And this happened in my conversation with the, this fellow trainee. And we, we respond in a couple of ways. The most common is that we problem solve. So we hear something hard. We're listening out of our, our first ear, which is our content logistical analytical ear. And we just go to the solution. Well, have you tried uh, just thinking about this like George Clooney did? <laughs> or, 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 you know, why don't you just put this off for 
a few, a, a few decades. That seems like there, it seems like there's no pressure here for you. We go, we go into, here's the solution. So we, we problem solve oftentimes. Another thing people can tend to do is they can discount. You know, if you're discounting, if you start your response with, well, at least X, well, at least, you know, your biggest problem is that you're not so sure what you want to do with marriage, but like, you know, life's still pretty good. At least right? after we have war with North Korea, um, you probably won't be worried about this anymore. Right. At least Trump is, you know, only in office for uh, at most eight years, hopefully four, you know, at least <laughs> so on and so forth. <laughs> at least he's not in New- living in New York anymore, Michael Melcher. Hey, <laughs> right. Uh, so we, we discount is another way we can respond. A third thing people do a lot is they hijack. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Let me tell you about this friend of mine who had the same qualm about getting married and what happened. And then they, you know, 10 minutes later, the the listener is still talking. And and me, who shared sort of this difficult dilemma, is just sort of sitting there like, uh, hello. Well, they've, they've, what shrinks would say, they've fallen out of relationship with you. Yeah. So they're no longer in the space that the two of you are occupying. They've kind of gone to some other space, but they're not really aware of it. Another label for that action is autobiographical listening. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I'm so stressed out at work. Oh, you know, when I started, I was stressed out too. And what I did about it is blah, blah, blah. Right. Got my Pilates certification. Right. Uh, And people think that they're being helpful, but all they're doing is redirecting somebody's situation to themselves. Yeah, the spotlight turns back around. Totally. So they they hijack or do the autobiographical listening. Um, And then the fourth response that's really common, I see this a lot among people who have sort of consulting uh, backgrounds, is you kind of go into probe mode which is sort of this form of kind of insistent or aggressive questioning, which is like, well, have you tried uh, collecting some alternate points of view on this yet? Well, what about this? Well, what, what aren't you thinking about this? Or, well, and it's sort of like this rapid fire questioning, almost like you're a detective, you're detectivizing somebody. So these are the ways we can tend to, when presented with you know, somebody sharing something that they need help with, we can tend to just respond. And they are correlated with somebody feeling like, yeah, I don't think this other person really fully understands me yet. And therefore are unproductive and break down trust and break down the odds that they come back to you in the future, like you were alluding to. And a, f- a final thing they can do is they can just sort of sit there and say nothing or do nothing. <laughs> yeah. And if you say, I'm not feeling heard, I'll say, I'm, I hear you. <laughs> the um, stone which wall. might be true, but it, it doesn't feel great yeah. on the other side. Yeah, just sort of left dangling, uh, left dangling out there for sure. The hope, the ray of sun in all this is, you know, we can notice what our respond or response habits are. And when we confirm respond, it uh, it sounds more like the example I gave you about my co-trainee. You, you, you mirror back first some of the so what context of what the other person's saying. What's the emotional context here? Or what's that, like I said earlier, what's at stake for that person? It sometimes can just be as simple as, man, that sounds really tough. Or um, I could see how that would be stressful. Or God, I really feel for that. I, I, I know people like at this stage of life have like come to that crossroads and it can be kind of brutal. Uh, it can be some just confirmation of the other person's, the sharer's reality as being valid and that you sort of get like one of the core pieces of it. And then when you confirm respond, you could just say any of those things and then you could just pause. You can actually pause for a few seconds. And oftentimes the sharer 
will keep sharing because they've just they've started to feel like you get me this person understands i would i would add to that um, another way of reflecting back is simply to either restate the key facts that they've laid out there sure. or summarize them um for more of a factual basis yeah because this is also um being of service to the other person and we spend so much time in life not being listened to that when you actually take the time to play something back to somebody without jumping into your own opinion or flipping the conversation back to you, people really appreciate it. So I've done this with clients and usually there is a big smile. They'll say, yes, that's it. Or, or that's right. Yeah, totally. So it, 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 it can be the reflecting back the emotional picture you're feeling and it can also be a more kind of content right fact yeah. fact aspect yeah i think and that's that's exactly right if, if we consider the two ears i was talking about earlier uh can i just reflect back can i confirm the the content of what i'm hearing or can i can confirm the the emotional piece or the what's at stake piece and but just purely reflect it back so the person's like yeah this person the, the listener is with me um, and what you just said there by highlighting the content reminds me of this article I read recently. It was on Medium and it was uh, a, a CEO talking about some of the best tips and tricks he's learned about listening over time. And he told this story about how he likes to use a technique he learned from an FBI hostage negotiator. And it's essentially, you know, is what you're just talking about. It's the that's right method. And this hostage negotiator had spent years looking over his transcripts from his most high stakes negotiations and found, uh, tried to find the linchpin moments where the, the tide in the negotiation turned for the better with these hostage takers. And he found it was when he was able to mirror back the content or the the so what, what are the stakes here pieces of uh, the hostage, take, hostage taker's um, kind of core issue and get the hostage taker to say, yeah, that's right. That things turned and and better things happened and the negotiation ended in a, in a good spot. So, um, well, do you remember this uh, episode that happened a few years ago, like 2013, 2014? There was a school and this heavily armed guy had broken into the school um and was sort of keeping it all hostage mm. and he was in the front office with the office clerk who is this woman who is alone with him basically she was the one that was on 911 at the same time and talking to him and she basically talked him down she got him to calm down and put down his weapons and then SWAT team busted in. And he was he was mentally ill. He um, was heavily armed. It was a super crisis situation. There were lots of kids around. And it was this fairly humble woman who nonetheless had the emotional intelligence to connect with him in some way and to make him feel understood. And by listening, almost taken care of, that allowed him to wow. do the right thing and not the wrong thing. Yeah, I don't remember that story, but... What a powerful example of the power that comes when we make people feel heard and understood and what we can do, how we can get through to them and build trust with them through that. Uh, it's really awesome. You know, it reminds me in, in the slightly less hostage taking sense of this, but this idea of confirming before responding, uh, some of my earliest training. And so this happened when I was, this was Michael Terrell at age five, five or six. 
And uh, a lot of my growth as a human, I attribute to my mother. Uh, shout out to Anne. Boop, boop. And my mom used to have me and my brother get through arguments uh, by, she would say, now, Michael, repeat back to your brother what you heard him say. And I used to hate it. I was like, oh, this feels, I, I was having my own masculine assertive leader reaction. Like, oh, this feels like a waste of time. This feels non-productive, whatever. Or more just like I resented having to engage in this way with my little twerpy brother. But I would, I would do it. And, or my brother would do it in situations where he was the, the offender and it would just make things better. It would deescalate the situation. We would start to like build these bridges where before there was sort of this fiery pit of, of resentment and hate, brotherly hate between us. And yeah, so from, from mom, mama, mama Anne to the hostage negotiation of the world, it's like, just can you repeat back what you heard the other person say? It goes a, well, a the- long way. The funny thing about that is a few times in my work, I've done group or team coaching, and there's a certain mediation aspect of it. And often what you're doing is you're saying, okay, Joan, let's stop for a minute and repeat back what you hear Ravi said. And sure. Ravi, is that right? And what did you hear her say? And the weird thing is that even if people are sort of scowling or like looking at the ground or kind of tapping their fingers <laughs> or what have you know, to show that they feel deeply uncomfortable with this and feel it is kind of illegitimate, it still has a tremendous impact when the other person feels that they have been accurately hurt. Totally. And it busts through a lot of um, conflicts. So, so many you know, conflicts are inevitable, but one reason they stay so fierce sometimes is that there's a lot of heat, but not a lot of light. So there's a lot of talking and posturing and emotions. It's just there's not very much dialogue going on because one person says one thing, the other person reacts to something else. And it's like they're both having their own independent conversations that have very little to do with, with the other person. Isn't it, isn't it crazy? I, the number of times I've asked somebody in a group coaching type setting, before we go any further, just let me make sure you heard what, what that person said. Can you repeat it back to them? And the number of times they can't do it, either at all or they miss huge pieces of it, uh, it's happened so often. And especially as the stakes and the frustration and the negative emotion escalates in the situation or the conflict gets bigger, <laughs> the worse people get at it. So that, true. That brings up this other um, idea I had, which is about filters and self-management. Hmm. So as we indicated earlier, listening's hard. It's hard to say in the topic. It's hard to say focus on the other person. It's hard to not let your own run with your own thoughts and reaction to things. Yeah. But there's another level, which is how we manage our filters. So we mentioned in an earlier episode that filters are how we construct our narratives about life. So we filter in certain information, we filter out certain information. And we have powerful filters, and they can be particularly powerful with certain individuals if we have a strong point of view about something or if we don't like the other person. Yeah. Um, and, any, and what happens is we end up with confirmation bias. So we will filter in information that seems to support our pre-existing ideas, and we'll filter out things that that uh, yes. doesn't don't go here. So, for example, I was reading this article where this New York Times reporter was going to talk to Trump voters in the industrial states, 
And uh, as often happens, I was kind of filled with rage because they would make comments about, oh, I totally trust Donald Trump still, and he's great, and blah, 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 and uh, the career politicians have taken over everything. I would filter all that in because it would kind of confirm my low opinion of them. But then a couple times they mentioned that at least a few of these voters had voted for Obama in 08, but I filtered that out mm-hmm. because I didn't want to. I didn't want to incorporate that into my view of of, of another person. Yeah, yeah. I've got <laughs> um, this nice judgment of them. I can't uh, undo it by taking in this other information. I'm going to ignore it totally. Yeah, and that happens all the time in group settings. And and honestly, that's how a lot of prejudice operates. Yes, is that whatever our view of somebody is, according to race or gender or sexual orientation or, or what have you, unless we're aware of it, we're going to filter out stuff that would challenge those views. Yeah. 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 My, you know, a way to make this really concrete for somebody would be to say, uh, can you think through the people on your team or the people you interact with regularly and actually try to write out what's the filter I might bring to my interactions with them? What's the story I tell about them? And the next time you're talking to them, just see if you can't notice how you're looking for ways to confirm that filter or how you collect little little gems to put in that 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 uh, jewel box for that person and ignore the rest, any sort of counter evidence. Because you're right, we do that I all the time. I think that's kind of brilliant. And I think to make it a bit more specific, you could say, what are my filters? In other words, what are my beliefs about this person and how they operate? And what types of actions or statements from them would I find surprising mm. or kind of shocking? Yeah, I love it. I love Because I think that shows you what you might be filtering out. Yeah. And, and you might be entirely accurate, but I also feel that it's possible that they, in fact, might, might demonstrate some of those beliefs or statements or actions that are outside of your filter. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. There's one other category I want to make sure we touch on when we when it comes to especially making the other person uh, feel understood or like you you get them, like communicating that that understanding. And that's to talk a little bit about our our bodies and our nonverbal behavior. Uh, this stuff can seem really obvious and simple, and yet I've found it to make a, a huge difference when it comes to listening. And so an example from my world, for those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting me in the real world, I'm a six foot four, white, extroverted man. I take up a lot of space. I have a deepish voice and I can I can be a lot for people sometimes. And one of my big learnings as a listener has been how to make uh, what can sometimes be a, an imposing presence more comfortable for people who are sharing. And so for me, I've, I've spent a lot of time really thinking about how to convey warmth and openness through my nonverbals. And so for, for, for somebody that's as big as me, that often means not like I could just be in a room, somebody's talking and I could be leaning back with my ha- hand over the leaning back with my hand over the chair next to me, kind of legs, you know, uh, one foot up on my knee, taking up a lot of space, sort of chilling. Sprawling. Sprawling out. Chilling and sprawling. Chilling and sprawling out. (laughs) Or I could actually sit, not only sit up, but sit a little bit more forward. I find that I actually bring my hands, if I bring my hands kind of into my lap, which which sort of closes my shoulders down a little bit, I make myself um, a bit smaller rather than sprawled out everywhere and turning to actually face the, the person who's speaking 
it's so funny as I'm saying this, I'm doing this in my desk chair, um, but turning to actually face the person who's speaking, um, keeping kind of my hands forward in my lap, my shoulders are a little bit more down and just making kind of warm, thinking about warmth and making eye contact with them as they speak, nodding along periodically as they say things that resonate with me or that um, I'm tracking has, has really made a big difference in people's comfort with me before they really get to know me. And it's, and it's done all non-verbally, just showing a certain amount of attention, leaning forward. Again, these, the, the non-verbal head nodding, keeping my stature a tiny bit smaller. So I'm not just this big gorilla sprawled out in the corner of the room, uh, has really made a, a lot of difference for people's sense of, uh, me being in tune with them rather than just kicking back, doing my tall Michael thing. Well, I think you've uh, mastered that pretty well because when I first met you, I saw, I experienced none of that kind of overwhelming, invasive, <laughs> tall, <laughs> high, big wingspan energy. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a that was a fun day, that New York day. That was nice. Yeah, man, and look where nice. we are now. Look where we are now. Hey, all right. So, what can our thousands, if not millions, of fans do to work on listening this week? Yeah, I want to circle back to the that's right method. And so I encourage you to try in a listening situation saying something like this. All right, so now I'm going to summarize what you told me. Uh, and I want you to let me know if I'm missing anything or anything's incorrect. All right? You can ask that question. All right. And then your goal is to echo it back to the person, either the content and or the, the, the emotional pieces of it, and have the sharer say, yeah. That's right. Try that out and you know, see how that goes. If you're off base the first time, say, okay, let me try that again. And go until you get the, the, the sharer to say something like, yeah, that's it, or that's right. And just sort of see how that experience goes for you. Well, I like this challenge because it is hard to listen and to kind of keep the spotlight on the other person. But in this little exercise, you've created a goal. Like, ah, I just waiting for them to say that's right. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. The golden words, that's right. Look forward to hearing how it goes for everyone. And Mr. Michael Melcher, always a pleasure, my man. And Michael Terrell, I hear you saying that it's always a pleasure. Is that right? <laughs> That'd be right. See you. All right. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye.